Will you pray along with me, please? So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are telling a grand and glorious story of grace. That from before the foundation of the world, you had laid out your plan to redeem your people and to reveal yourself in your glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we continue to worship you in your word, and we hear his voice speak to us, Lord, may we not lose sight of the fact that we are privileged as sons and daughters to be part of that story. Lord, we live here in the middle of this already and not yet. You came once and paid the price for sin. You will come again and restore all things like they were before the fall. In the meantime, may we just rehearse the promises of God that find their yes in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. So the great tension in modern Christianity is that we know we're supposed to be obeying what Jesus said, but we want to ignore what he said in the Beatitudes. Today is probably the best example of that tension, because when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he actually goes on and clarifies more what that says in the rest of that passage. In verse 11 of Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad when that happens. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. It's interesting that as he expands on that, it, it, it really brings to mind a question. Do we want to be called Christians. The Bible teacher from the 20th century, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, used to ask people that when he would be witnessing to them and sharing Christ with them or just talking with somebody who professed faith in Christ already, he would say, so are you ready to be called a Christian? And we would, we'd probably sit here today, you're in church, and I'm guessing most of you are in church because you would say, yeah, I am a Christian, otherwise why am I here? One, I wouldn't assume that being here does not make you a Christian. But two, I would say, we, we, would, we would, yeah, absolutely, I want to follow hard after Jesus Christ. But when he defines what that looks like, the way we've looked at it over the last eight weeks, or seven weeks, and this is our eighth week now, of what it looks like to be kingdom people is to be poor in spirit. It is to mourn. It is to be gentle or meek. It is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is to be merciful. It is to be pure of heart. It is to be peacemakers at whatever cost. And now today it's, oh, by the way, it's blessed are you when you are persecuted. It gives it a whole different flavor about whether we want to be called a Christian because that is what a Christian looks like. And if we are to look like Christ, and he is those things, if we're doing those first seven, this eighth one will flow out of those first seven. How do we know that? How do we know, without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if we are these things, if we are kingdom people, how do we know persecution is going to come? Because they killed him. Right? If, it, if he didn't escape the persecution, 
and our call is to be like him, what would make us think that we would escape the persecution? So we're going to look at that today as we go through this process of looking at what it means to be blessed to be persecuted. But I also want you to look at it not just in the context of this is sort of the proof of the other seven, but it is also part of the process in and of itself. That not only is it proof that we're living those first seven things, but we're, God uses persecution in our lives, trials, struggles, storms in our lives to conform us into Christ's likeness so we can do those seven things even better. How do we know that? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for example, Paul tells us that this momentary light affliction, whatever you have going on, the persecution you're facing at work, the storms you're having in your marriage, whatever it is, this momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Because we don't look at the stuff around us. Because that stuff's going away. We look at the things that are not seen, that are eternal, that what he said is, your treasure, blessed are you when you're persecuted, because great is your reward in heaven. So we say, I asked you guys to join with me in this prayer last week, when people are with you, do they feel Jesus? When people are with you, do they feel Jesus? But guys, that doesn't mean everybody loves you, because everybody didn't love him, Right? Paul tells us, again, in 2 Corinthians, that to some, we are the aroma of Christ in every place. And for some people, that smells like life. And for some people, that smells like the stench of death. And to those people are the ones that are going to tend to persecute us for our faith. So what does that look like in America? It's easy to see, like, what persecuted Christians, you know, you can read books on the martyrs, and you can see what's going on in parts of the world where Christians are being beheaded for their faith, and families are being killed for their faith, and yet the gospel is going forward in those countries much stronger and much faster than it is in, in America or in Western Europe, which is not coincidental. That, that the gospel goes forward not, be, not in spite of persecution, but because of persecution, and it's been that way since the beginning. Right? It's, it's just always been true. But, but the question becomes, what does that look like in America? Well, in America, that persecution is looking more and more obvious all the time. There are places, guys, in our country already where, church, where school districts will not allow churches to meet in them. Right? Is that a form of persecution? Yeah, it is. Maybe you've lost a promotion, or maybe you have been looked over for something on your job. Young people in the room, maybe in your school you are mocked and ridiculed. Maybe in your place of work you are. But I would, ask, I would flip it on its head and I would say this. If those things aren't happening to us, why? Based on, the, based on what the promise he just made, you will be persecuted on account of me. If you're not ever facing any persecution, is it because nobody knows you stand out for him? So do we stand out for him? Do you stand out for him in your place of work, in your school, in your neighborhood, at your coffee shop, on your social media account? If I were to get on your social media account and just scroll through your feed, would I have any idea that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? And would I believe that you understand what that looks like is love and grace? Not some political affiliation or some hard-hearted attitude about your little flag that you're going to plant in the sand. The Christians have always been known for their different behavior, and they've always been persecuted for it. In Acts chapter 5, Peter has, he's preached these great sermons. He has been arrested multiple times and released. Thousands of people have come to Christ. This last time he gets arrested, in, in Acts chapter 5 he gets arrested, he gets flogged, which would not be pleasant. 
And then it says this about them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame in his name. Do you get what they're... they're, they're they have just been beaten, like severely. And they're saying, praise God that I'm living a life worthy of that. That is so different from modern Christianity. It's so different from what's preached in most pulpits in the West. Why? Because that doesn't sell. Guys, that does not fill your church. That does not make you popular with your friends that are in your neighborhood. Put on Jesus and get persecuted. That does not sound positive. But that is the message that Christ is telling us today. It is tangible proof that we are living for him. And it is also part of the process that conforms us into Christ's likeness. In John 16, Jesus himself said this, These things I have spoken to you so that, you may, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have storms. In this world you will have trials. In this world you will be persecuted. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to cling to that. But let's be clear, guys. The word of God in Jesus' own, in his own mouth make clear that persecution is part of the package. So what we're going to do is what we've been doing in this whole series is we're going to look at what a psalmist says about how we're to handle this persecution. So in Psalm 22, and if you haven't already turned there, find Psalm 22. It's in the middle of your Bibles. If you lay them open, you'll just, it should fall open. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will put a Bible in it. You can hang on to it. Um, it can be yours to keep. But we're going to look at the question that David is going to help us answer. King David is going to help us answer this question. What does it look like when? What does it look like when? And we're going to kind of look at three different ways that we can be persecuted. What does it look like when we feel abandoned? What does it look like when we feel abandoned? Look at Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. I cry, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. I cry by night, but I have no rest. Maybe you're sitting here today feeling that way. Maybe you feel like you've been abandoned by God. Maybe it's not God you feel abandoned by, but it's other people you feel abandoned by. And, and, and what I love about David is he is real with God here. He's saying, God, I am, I am begging you to show yourself to me. I am begging you to fix this. I feel alone and forsaken. And everyone is out to get me. And I feel like you're so distant. But he doesn't leave us there. But guys, this should sound familiar to you. Because if this is where you're at right now, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have a Savior who understands this feeling at a level that you will never know, that I will never know. How do we know that? If you're taking notes, don't turn there, but if you're taking notes, we know. In Matthew 27, Jesus quotes David here. Right? Do you remember what happens? It says that the people that are walking by Jesus while he's on the cross, they're insulting him. The leaders are casting ridicule upon him. Even the thieves that are on either side of him are mocking him. And what does he say? It says that in the ninth hour, which would have been about 3 p.m., it says that the sky, the sky had grown dark at noon, and in the ninth hour, it says he looks up to heaven, and what does he say? 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the Spirit of the living God, for the only time in the triune God's head existence, had removed himself from the Son of God so that the sins of the world could be placed in that spot. And Jesus was utterly alone. But just like David, he didn't stay there. So what do we do when we feel completely abandoned? Well, what did Jesus do? What Jesus is doing here, what he was doing while he was on the cross, what you'd find, what you'd find out if you do a study on it, is he is reciting the word of God. He is, he is in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his grief, of, being, of having all the sins of the world put upon him, he is reciting the word of God to himself so that he doesn't forget, if that's possible. But guys, we need to be doing that as well. We need to be reminding ourselves of the love of God. Because prior to Matthew 27, in Matthew 26, what does Jesus pray in the garden? Do you remember? He gets on his knees and he prays so fervently he sweats blood and he says, Father, if you have found another way, bring it. Let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of wrath that, that is supposed to be poured out on me, let it go somewhere else. Maybe you found another way. But then what does he say? Yet. Not my will, but your will be done. Look at what David says. Verse 3. Yet you are holy. In the midst of his abandonment, in the midst of his pain, this little three-letter word has more power than you can possibly imagine. Regardless of what you're going through right now, this little three-letter word has more power than you can imagine. Because in that moment, of going, why, why, why? You turn your eyes off of those whys and you get them focused back onto the yet of who God is. Yet you are holy. Yet you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Yet in you our fathers trusted and you delivered them. Guys, it is that process that we have to go through as a people. And it's why gathering together as the people of God, whether it be here or in your core groups or elective groups or whatever they are, is so important so that we remind each other, get your eyes back on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because otherwise, man, we, we will slip further and further into despair. It is in that little moment that Jesus won the victory. Guys, if, if in that moment in the garden in Matthew 26 when he says, yet, not my will, but your will be done. Guys, if he loses that battle and he doesn't say that, we lose our salvation. He doesn't go to the cross. There is no forgiveness of sin, and we all go to hell. That's how powerful that three-letter word is. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. So today's, today's question is, what do I do when I feel abandoned? The answer is pray. The second part that David's going to show us is, what do I do when I feel verbally abused? And this is probably the, the area that we would... Be, um, be able to relate to the most in America. What does it look like when I am verbally abused? Look at verse 6. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. This is David. So, so he's, so, so I love, I, I just love David. And I've said this before. Out of all the Old Testament saints, I, I, I ought to want to meet Daniel because I think he's the guy that just, it seems like, man, did the guy ever sin? I mean, we know he did, but he just is perfect. Or Elijah. Even Moses, but the guy I want to meet is David because he's just real. 
Like one minute he's going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next minute he's going, yet yeah, you are holy. And then right away, here he goes again. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me or mock me. They separate with their lip. That's just, a, that, that in, a, in the modern vernacular, they separate with their lip would actually be they spew venom. They spew, it actually, in, in the original Hebrew, it has the connotation of going to the bathroom. Yeah. They spew venom. Venom. They wage, or they wag their head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, because he delights in him. So they're mocking him. Guys, if we live distinctly different, this is what's going to happen to us. Our mission as a church is that we are to encourage the one another in the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, that we would live distinctly different and engaging lives. Guys, if we are living distinctly different, this is what happens to you. You are going to get persecuted. And again, and if, and if that's not happening, if you're never coming, guys, if, you, if you're, I, I spent 15 years in the public school system. I saw kids do amazing things on public school campuses for the, for the gospel. And I saw kids get amazingly persecuted for doing amazing things on a public school campus. And God showed up every time. And those kids grew through that persecution. And what I would say to the kids that were on that campus, that were professing faith in Christ, that weren't going through that persecution is, so what are you really doing here? If you're not, if, if, does anybody on this campus even know you're a follower of Christ? Does anybody in your place of work know you're a believer in Jesus? I guarantee you people at Chad um, Ryan's um, police precinct, is that what you call it, a precinct? No, he's a believer in Jesus Christ. I guarantee it. And I also guarantee it that he has been put in tough spots because of that. And if we haven't, guys, I, I don't know what to do with that. Here's why. Because Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, those who desire, this is 2 Timothy, if you're taking notes, 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12. Those that desire to live for Christ will be persecuted. That's in the Bible. That is a promise that you're not going to see on a bumper sticker. Right? But it's the truth. Guys, it is not best life now. It is not win at this life here. Guys, the reason we preach Christ, the reason we believe in Jesus, is because hell is still hot. People are still going to hell. And there is a God in heaven who is glorious. And we have been called to send that message to the, to the world. So what do we do? Well, what do we do when we're verbally abused? We pray. Look at what David says, verses 9 and 10. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. There's that three-letter word again, yet. He's, it's, like he's, he's, it's like you can just see the wrestle in David. Why have you forsaken me? Yet you are holy. But I'm a worm and everybody's saying bad things about me. Yet you have known me from the beginning. What does that sound like? Another one of David's psalms. Psalm 139. 
Do you remember how he describes it in Psalm 139 when he talks about how you have formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book there were laid out for me all of my days when as yet there was not one. And then he says, and man, your thoughts about me are so numerous and precious. He is reminding himself of, this is who I am. Guys, when, when you're in the middle of being confronted, whether it's Chad Ryan at work or you're in your school somewhere, when you're in the middle of being confronted, you need to remind yourself of these things. Remind yourself that you are precious in the sight of God. That all of your days were ordained for you, including the moment you're in in that persecution, when before there was one. Remind yourself that you get your worth from him and not from the world. Guys, if, if you will hang on to that, young people, old people, listen to me. Look, listen to this. Look at me. You are precious in the sight of God. He loves you. He wants your best for his glory. Regardless of what any person ever says to you or about you, your worth is found in a God who is supremely worthy. Hang on to that. And when you do, that persecution in front of you doesn't seem very important. It's amazing what you can put up, what, what verbal venom you can put up with out of spewing out of somebody's mouth when, when in the bat, when as they're cursing at you, as they're saying all these things about you, as they're mocking you and making fun of you, you are rehearsing in your mind, I praise God I don't get myself worth from you. Maybe you don't say it out loud. Maybe you do. And he has everything under control. Guys, persecutions, trials, storms will come. We all know it. Guys, everybody, in, I mean, almost, I, I don't know that there's anybody here that, that wouldn't, if I said, if you've ever been through a trial or a struggle, raise your hand, and every hand would go up. Every hand would go up. Some of those trials, from, our, from your perspective, may not seem very big, but we all face them. So what do we do in them? Well, what, we obviously we pray, but guys, here's the thing. When the storm comes, and they will, set your anchor deep into Christ. And you're going to see his grace hold you firm. When the storm comes, set your anchor deep in Christ and watch him hold you fast. He will. He just will, if you will. So what do I do when I feel abandoned? I pray. What do I do when I'm verbally abused? I pray. What do I do when I'm at the end of my rope? This is our last one. What do I do when I'm at the end of my rope? Look at verses 11 through 18. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. He's saying these are just men of war that are chasing him. They open wide their mouth at me. At a ravening and roar, as a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bone, bones are out of joint. That should sound familiar to you. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Guys, have you ever felt that way where you're just like, I am just completely undone. Like, I, I'm just at, I am at the end of my rope. I got nothing left. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Doesn't it, doesn't it make you feel better that, that men like David who were right there too? That he's like, my strength is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. The dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
I count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And guys, if, if, if you are familiar with the crucifixion story accounts in the Gospels, you know Christ gets us. This is David writing. But he's not only prophesying about what's going to happen a thousand years later. He's experiencing in his own moment this reality in his life. But you flash forward ahead to us and you go, we have a Savior who gets us. We have a Savior who gets it because he's up on a cross and they're deciding what to do with his robe by gambling it, by, by, by rolling dice. They have no concern for him. So when you feel like the person you love who's sitting next to you or your boss or your teacher at school or whatever it is has no concern for you, remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've said this multiple times here. The first obstacle to believing is not behaving, it's beholding. Right? The first obstacle to being a Christian and really believing isn't behave. Get your behavior cleaned up. Stop doing that sin thing and then come to Christ. No, it's behold the beauty of Jesus. He will lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ and your behavior will get cleaned up. But do you wonder what the, the first obstacle to actually following hard after him is? The first obstacle in following hard after him is not having enough faith to get out of the boat. It's overcoming the fear of stepping on the water. The first obstacle to following Jesus is not not having faith. It is overcoming fear. That's our biggest problem. Guys, whether it's that person in the coffee shop that you're feeling like the Holy Spirit is like, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. The teacher's asking questions in your class and, you're like, and you just feel like, yeah, I'm supposed to say right now that because I'm a Christian, this, and I don't, it's not, oh, I don't have enough faith to do that. It's that you're too afraid. It's fear. But he'll help you overcome it. Not my will, but thy will be done. So what do I do when I'm at the end of my rope? Well, you, by now you've probably figured it out. What's the answer to that question? We pray. Look at verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You save me. He's, saying, he's telling us, cry out to God. Be specific. Cry out to God for deliverance from the things that are going on, even as he uses those things that are going on in your life to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. You say, but why, why would God do this? Why would God allow, why would Jesus promise persecution? Well, one, because when you're different than the world, they hate us. And that should not surprise us. Because he says, when they hate you, don't be surprised, because they hated me first. That's what he tells his disciples. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. But it's also because he is, the, the more he gets us through those trials, those storms, those struggles, the more useful we are when we come out on the other end. A.W. Tozer said it this way, It is doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. 
It is doubtful that a man, that God can use a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The last couple of weeks, in, in the many things that have been in your bulletin, there have been these little clips or excerpts from a book called The Tale of Three Kings. It's about David and Saul, and then David and Absalom. It's a short little book. It's a great little read if you're struggling with everything from forgiveness issues to just getting through persecution. And there's a little, there's little tastes of those in here. This is, guys, that is what made David David. What made David David was not sitting on the throne. What made David David was running from the Sauls and the Absaloms in persecution. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. So today's question is, what do I do when I feel abandoned, when I feel verbally abused, when I'm at the end of my rope? The answer is prayer, prayer, prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Turn. Prayer is just the act of turning your mind's attention and your heart's affection on him and pray. And then the final thing is, and this is what we should do in all circumstances, praise. No matter what's going on, praise him. Turn your prayer into a praise. Turn your pessimism into a praise. Turn your fear into a praise and watch what happens. You say, how do you get that? Well, look at how David ends this great psalm. Verse 22. I tell you, of your, I will tell of your name to my brother and in the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You who are descendants of Jacob, glorify him. All who stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Guys, in Christ, that is us, he's talking about. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. In Christ, it will. That's a praise. Regardless of what's going on in your life, if you are a Christian, you are eternally secure. That's praiseworthy. At the end of the earth, we will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families and nations will worship before you. For the, kingdoms, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over nations. Guys, think about what, what David's writing here in light of what his first line in the song was. What was his? He's writing about all this praise to God. You are in control. You are all powerful. You hear my prayers. You are, how did he start? Where are you, God? He start. This is how powerful praise is. In, he starts the song with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the end of the song, because he's turned his mind's attention and his heart's affection to God, he is praising God for the very things he was complaining to God about. That is the power of praise. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship, and those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Prosperity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Guys, if you don't have this written down in your Bible, I'm going to ask you to do something where it says he, where he has performed it. The he there is God. All those he's were, were capitalized in my Bible because the NASB capitalizes the he's that refer to God. Right down next to it where he has performed it, it is is finished. Because that's the promise that he's making there. 
A people that have yet to be born. He's talking about us. A, a people who know God. He's talking about us if you're in Christ. It is finished. Guys, if prayer pierces the darkness of your life, praise will shatter it. If prayer pierces the darkness you're in, and, and I pray, pray. When you feel abandoned, pray. When you're verbally abused, pray. When you're at the end of your rope, pray. But then don't just stop there. Turn to praise, because praise will shatter the darkness you're feeling, regardless of what's causing it. I'm going to invite the music team to come up and the lights to come down as we respond to what he would have for you today. Guys, if you need prayer, there will be people in the back of the room before we start serving communion to just pray with you. If you feel led by, if you know somebody's struggling with something right now and you just feel led by the Spirit to pray with them, as the song is going on, get up and go pray. But let me ask you a question while the team is getting ready to play the music. Are you living a life of praise to the one who called you to it? Who gave it to you? Are you living a life worthy of praise? How would you know? Here's the answer. Do you feel tension? Do you feel persecution? Do you feel the struggle of sin in your life? Because if you're not his, you don't feel that struggle. How do I know? Because for the first 24 years of my life, I was not his, and I did not feel that struggle. And I sinned a lot. I sin less now, but every time I do, I feel a struggle and a tension. Do you? Are you living a life of praise? Guys, we spend so much time preparing for two things in a life. The birth and the death. Right? We, sell, right? we, we have little baby showers and we um, get the room ready and we spend all this time preparing for this date. My date was 1969. And then we spend all this time planning for the end of our life. What's it going to look like when I retire? What's it going to look like when I pass? What's my inheritance if I have one? What's my will? We spend a lot of time on that. Guys, the dash in the middle is what matters. How do I know the dash in the middle is what matters? Because if you go to a memorial, when you're at Mark McCausland's mom's memorial, when you are at um, the Sanders' parents' memorial, when you're at Brent Mattingly's memorial, they're not talking about the date of birth and the date of death. What are they talking about? The dash in the middle. Here's the problem. By then, it's too late for the dead person. That's why I love going to memorials. Because it reminds me, what is my dash going to stand for? Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth. I thank you, for the, I thank you and praise you for the truth that we will be persecuted if we are living for you. That can look a thousand different ways. Tension in our spirit over sin or confrontation from a coworker. But Father, I praise you for that. I praise you because you use that in, in your kingdom building. I praise you that you use that in conforming us to Christ's likeness. I praise you that, that, that it is proof that we're living for you, that the dash means something eternal. So Lord, right now I pray for those who don't know that it is finished. Lord, I pray that you would turn their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that they would turn from sin into 
you and that they would talk to somebody. And Lord, I pray for those of us that do know. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would overcome our fear, that as we behold your beauty and believe in your word, that we would claim the promises of God and proclaim them to a people yet to be born. Father God, for the glory of Christ, let our dash make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.